0: This is The Shift Podcast.
1: The Shift Daily Podcast has stories of two friends who escaped Nazi persecution and reunited after 80 years. Are you okay with mushroom shoes? No. Dog hair sweaters? No. Sorry, I shouldn't do that. You get to decide for yourself coming up. How about Fruit Loops on pizza? Are you okay with conspiracy theories? That was the conversation. Not about necessarily the conspiracy theories, more so about conspiracy theories, and how they happen. Carmen Celestini, professor at University of Waterloo, joins us on the podcast to talk about all of those things and why conspiracy theories are so appealing. Also, on in case you missed it, Ryan Brittany O'Donnell with RuPaul's Drag Race, the Simpsons 700 episode, and a very metal anniversary. Friends, who's your best friend? Ryan, who's your best friend? Pick one longest maybe like the deepest relationship it
0: doesn't necessarily be the person you see every day Hmm. Ah, it's really tough it's really tough i have two that fit into that category i'd say my best friend right, you can, is my you can friend okay is my friend brett uh mm-hmm. he is uh we met in high school he introduced me to heavy metal he has been the person beside me through all the highs and lows of life and uh you know i it, it's the Kind of friendship where he lives on the other side of the world right now. And we're still just as close as the day he was five minutes from my house. Uh, and on the other side of that would be my friend, Mark, who is in Ontario. He is my childhood friend. And he's the kind of friend where you don't see each other and you don't really talk to each other for years. And But if he turned up at your doorstep, you would have the most amazing time. And all the time you spend together is just amazing. So uh i mean all my friends are wonderful wonderful and i'm very blessed to have them for sure
1: all right maddie who's the
0: long lost friend that that's
1: still close somehow
2: um i mean i wouldn't say he's he's lost like i try not to let let people drift away too much i mean you do you know you get you, you get sort of lost in your work and you lose touch with people over the years um but i'd say like my bestest best friend is my buddy jordan uh we went to uh you know elementary school together we learned how to uh, be musicians together played in a bunch of bands together he was my best man um, and he is he's always my best man so it was an easy best man choice because he's always been my best man so right yeah that's very cool that's Jordan
1: yeah that's that's awesome mine is uh my buddy Evie lives in Atlanta so I don't see him very often we don't chat very often he's probably the deepest most authentic of all the friends. And then I've got a buddy named Corey. I haven't even talked to Corey in a couple of years, but he's the kind of guy where you get back together again and things. There's like not a day has passed. I also have that same relationship with my sister. My sister and I are not particularly like call every day close, but she's always there for me. And, you know, we get together, we can always have good chats. And, and, um, it's like not a day has gone by. So that's, that's really kind of cool. I love that. 877 long lost friends. You lose touch with anybody and make contact again. And how did that feel? What was that experience? What was it like for you? This reunion is very unlikely, also unforgettable. 82 years in the making. It's a story from Global's Mike Armstrong.
3: To understand the tears of joy that will come at the end of this story, You have to first understand the tears of pain at the beginning. Betty Grabenchikov was born in 1929, Jewish, in Germany. Those first years, she says, were wonderful, family and friends. And then things started to change.
4: It was very gradual. The whole thing was very gradual, you know. The Hitler Youth kids were out there. They used to be my friends. They lived right around where we lived in the same apartment building.
3: One day you're playing with them One and, the day, next day. and
4: the next day they call me a dirty Jew. And they were wearing all their the nice little uniforms, you know, with the swastikas and everything else. And they went off on picnics and all that. And I said to my mother, I want to go too. They're having such a good time. They're singing, they're marching. Up. And she said, that's not for us. We're Jews. And we have to be very careful.
3: In Hitler's Germany, growing up as a Jewish child meant losing one thing after another. Betty and her best friend were banned from parks and pools. They weren't allowed to go to beaches or even ride bicycles.
5: Bands of stormtroopers roved the streets.
3: And then came November 9th, 1938. Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass angry mobs across the country targeted Jewish businesses, synagogues, and homes.
4: We sat on the floor in our apartment in the dark. We were told not to make a sound and we could hear the screaming and the yelling outside and uh, people looking for Jews and yelling, saying, you know, kill the Jews and all that. And that uh, made an impression, you know.
3: I can't even imagine. No. After that day, Betty's parents knew they had to get out to find safety somewhere else, anywhere else. The family studied Spanish, trying to get to South America, then English, trying to get to North America. When her father finally found a way out, he took Betty to her schoolyard to see her best friend, Anna Marie.
4: I remember my goodbye with her, um, uh, and we cried, and we said we'll write letters to each other, and we will always be friends, and she was my best friend, you know. And so, we um, lost touch, totally.
3: At nine years old, Betty left everything and almost everyone she had ever known behind. Her father had found a ship to Shanghai.
4: And these are my parents
3: here. Today, she's kept a binder of memories, including the receipt for that trip. That paper might have saved your life. Oh, yes, absolutely. The port of Shanghai was one of the only places in the world open to Jews without papers. It became home to 20,000. Now, they were difficult years. When the Second World War started, there was the occupation by Japan. And after the war, there was the Communist Revolution. Betty would spend 11 years in Shanghai. She'd meet her husband. They'd move to Australia for a year and then the U.S., where they would raise their five children.
0: Oh, there's fish. There's turtles in here.
3: Today, Betty lives in St. Petersburg, Florida, about a half hour from her daughter, Jennifer. It could not possibly feel more different from her early life.
4: Now, these two were murdered.
3: That book of memories has pages of photographs of relatives killed in death camps.
4: They were in Auschwitz.
3: Aunts and uncles, cousins, and all four of her grandparents. So how many people were killed?
4: Oh, I would say, I, I never counted. Really, you know, but I would say at least two dozen, maybe, Yeah. I don't know whether you've ever heard of the Shanghai Jews.
3: But now, for decades, Betty has shared her story, talked about what she lived through and what she lost. But at almost every chance, she would also slide something in. Can I mention her here? Something that still hurt.
4: So her name was Anna Vaughn back.
3: The loss of that best friend.
4: I don't know whatever happened to her. She probably died in the war but I'm not sure.
1: An amazing story of long-lost friends. Now, there is more to come on that. Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. What are your long-lost friends? Let's go to Ursula. She's in Oliver, BC. Hi, Ursula. I do need to Hi be quick there. here, but I want to Hi. hear your story.
5: Yeah. Oh, yes, Jane. I just told a young man in 1965, I moved to Burnaby, and a few years later, somebody moved next door, and it was a uh, couple with three children. Anyway, her, his wife and I became good friends, and after seven years, they moved away, and we lost each other. In the meantime, I lost my husband after 41 years of, of uh, being married, and I was a widow. And then one day, I hear from him, and he says that his wife passed away. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that. He said, yes, she wanted to come and see you, but she didn't make it anymore. So can I come and visit? I said, sure. So he came to visit, and six months later, he proposed to me. And here I am, <laughs> married to the man who used to be my neighbor. I would have never dreamed that time Whoa. that one day we would be married. Wow. Yeah,
1: you know they always say that people come into our lives for a reason. Is that that's pretty much right. the, all the evidence yeah. you need right there?
5: That is so right. Yeah, and we're very happy. We live in Oliver. You know that. Remember your chain, right? Yeah. You know I yeah, live in right. Oliver.
3: Yeah, that's right. So you got and it. I, I wanted do. to
5: say to you, if you ever come to Oliver, you have to visit us.
1: That's beautiful. I love this. This is Ursula. Thank you. If I come to Oliver. We will connect. Thank you.
5: Okay, good.
1: Thank you for the story. It's beautiful. I'm glad. That's Oh, man, that has made my day. I feel like I literally feel my heart glowing. Thank you, Ursula.
5: When when you came up with that subject, I said, I do have to phone you because I needed to tell you that story. And I told a young man who answered the phone that I was also totally blind.
1: Oh, wow.
5: Yeah, I've been blind for um, 15 years. Wow. But you know what? I'm a happy person. Nobody gets me down. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sing and dance and, and cook and clean, and, you know, whatever else comes with the house.
1: Ursula, thank a- you very much. That's beautiful. I love it. I love it. I can feel it. Like I can feel the joy that pours out of you. Um, we have to continue with our story, but thank you, Ursula.
5: Yes. Okay, my dear. Take okay. Care. Take care. Bye bye.
1: Thank-, thank you. Oh, what a beautiful human. Oh, my God. You can feel it. Can you not feel that right now? Like, you can feel
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. My heart is just full right now. It's just yeah. oh a beautiful story. That's like uh, humanity right that's... there. The best of it. Love it. Yeah. Th-
1: thank you, Ursula. And I mean it. Um, uh, That'd be great. What, what a cool thing to do. Okay. So there is more to the story about how these friends got united. We'll get that coming up next with Mike Armstrong from Global's story about this. Uh, reuniting of these these young girls, 82 years in the making.
3: There are fewer and fewer survivors alive to tell their story. Hola. The Jewish History Museum in Santiago, Chile, is lucky enough to have another. She's almost the exact same age as Betty. Grew up in Berlin, escaped just after Betty, and she too had a best friend she assumed was dead. Buenas tardes,
4: buenas noches. Well,
3: recently that woman was asked to fill in for someone else in an international Zoom conference. It was last minute. The subject, living through Kristallnacht. It was a story she'd told many times before in Chile, but this time someone in the U.S. was listening.
4: I was lucky enough
6: to
3: be invited. Ita Gordon was on that call. She's an indexer with the Shoah Foundation out of California. They document survivors' stories. After the call, she started plugging details from what she'd heard into the foundation's database. I tried this, I tried that. She remembers the moment sitting at her computer when she realized she had found two long-lost friends.
4: I said to myself, I have something here. And then I froze. I really did.
0: My first thought is, is this real?
3: Very quickly, word went out. The families were told and then had a decision to make. Both women are now in their 90s. Was it a door they wanted to walk through?
4: Mom, never. you never hesitated. There was never never a, oh, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? I talked my whole life about her, for goodness sake. Yes. <laughs> and I can see Betty. Hello. Hello, <clears throat> Betty. Can you see me? Hello. And I see Anna Maria.
3: When the Shoah Foundation set up this first reunion Zoom call, some were nervous the two women wouldn't have much to say after five minutes. They went for fifty.
4: It's a what
3: now the first topic was basically disbelief, shock at seeing each other after 82 years. From there, they moved on to remembering, playing together, seeing movies, eating chocolate, and how they shared a lack of skill in ballet class. Deine
4: Mutter and meine. Mm-hmm. haben
3: so laut gelacht, weil wir alles uh, umgekehrt machten, uh, dass sie, dass sie rausgeschmissen <laughs> Now the girl Betty knew as Anna Marie became Anna Maria. Her family escaped Germany just days before the war and eventually settled in Chile. The only people who got out with her were her parents. Every other member of Anna Maria's family was killed in death camps. As for losing track of her childhood friend, Anna Maria held on to a note Betty wrote to her 82 years ago. When one day in later years you take this small book in hand, think about how nice it was that we knew one another.
4: Yeah, that's
3: funny. Well, they are friends once again.
4: There was a connection there right away. It's not like, oh my goodness, who's this old lady over there? You know, Nothing like that. What a pleasure. I'm speechless. One
3: of the people invited to the call, Ita Gort, very much the hero of the hour, but only one of many smiles.
1: What's up, South America?
3: (laughs) Betty introduced her family first.
1: Hi, Betty.
3: Then Anna Maria. Nice to meet you, Betty. Lovely to
4: meet you, too. (laughs) I think I have a whole new family. In the
3: end, it was everyone together and a moment of pride.
4: Anna-Marie, look what we did, huh? Yeah. Anna-Marie, look what we did. It's amazing, and we can't wait to get
3: together. <laughs> Betty and anna Maria now have a regular Zoom call every Sunday at noon, but they talk in between whenever they feel like
4: it. Yeah, yeah, good.
3: They've good. also made a pact to stay healthy. So they can one day do this in person. (laughs) You know,
1: one of the things, if I could ever say that I would, uh, I have this big dad bias on is the friendships. I don't think I was very good at it. I didn't really fit, you know, I grew up in Fort McMurray and that was not my city. It's a beautiful place, oh my God, and there's so many amazing people there, and I love going there, but it wasn't my city to live in. I mean, just look at my job, I guess, right? It's not something that you do in Fort McMurray. These are the things that I wanted to create in my life. So we leave friends behind. I was never very good at keeping in touch with all those people, the people that were the closest. And so I I push my kids to cherish those things so much, probably too much. (laughs) But, yeah, those friends, they're awesome. I can't believe that story. 82 years later.
0: This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay,
1: Maddie? How's your Moondial?
0: Uh,
2: yeah, Moondial. Hey, Moondial. Um, I hear you've been practicing. Uh, y- yeah, you don't need to brag. Just show me what you got. Whoa. Holy crap. You have been practicing. bad. Whoa. How are you even? Whoa! hope you warmed Shredding up. Shredding it out. Hey. Whoa! He's got I...
1: blisters on his fingers. <laughs> I think I think we're ready. whoo Considering the moon dial um, only has one finger, that's pretty good.
2: That's very very good. That's <laughs> I got. I have some practicing to do.
1: Yeah. Are you? <laughs> are you okay? Oh man! Why do we have to do this? Just trust me. It's worth it. Let's do it. Really? I don't know. I think there's a, speaking of conspiracy theories, I think this is a conspiracy theory. Okay, sorry, Maddie. Small little team meeting there for a second.
0: Are you okay with shoes? (laughs) Uh, Ryan, did you write this one? Yes, I wrote this one. It's just, trust me, it's worth it. Okay. I don't even need to answer. Yes, I am obviously okay with shoes. (sighs) I'm not okay with hookworms, so yes, I'm okay with shoes. Okay. (laughs) Okay.
1: Although, if there is sand or grass, share your inner hippie, ground I'm your feet, it. and feel the connection to Mother
0: Earth. I feel that, brother.
1: German designer Emily Bernfind has developed a sock sneaker with a mushroom. What? Mycelium sole. And knitted upper made from dog hair. You know what, let's just... Dude, get, like you said this was going to be worth it. Let's
2: just get Ryan to read this. Take a break, Shane. Okay, Ryan, you do it. I, yeah, <laughs> okay. I'm out. I'm tapping out. Like, so basically... What, what is,
0: <laughs> like, look at all the this words is a, here
1: that are... Mycelium. Have you, have you never
0: heard mycelium? That's no. Modus
1: intars, intarsia? No one has. This,
0: Seriously, no one has. Is this no English? English? mycelium. are coming at me like a bat of out of hell right now. <laughs>
2: Holy moly. <laughs> That's okay. We're not it's here. called...
0: So, I, I will explain this, okay? The shoe mm, is called the Sneecher, like nature. Get it? Uh huh. Uh-huh.
2: Okay, like sneaker yep. and nature.
0: The shoe is made I... from basically like mushrooms hardened into a sole for a shoe and dog hair. That is what the shoe is made from. Okay, She told Deason she wanted to design a shoe that is made as, <laughs> as few components as possible and that's also biodegradable. The hair is spun into a high quality yarn which is 42% better at retaining heat than wool. That's something interesting. Uh, and all the hair is donated from people in Berlin. And while seeing this story, it turns out that wearing dog hair is actually kind of a thing that a lot of people do.
1: Yeah, if you can except believe for it. everyone who's allergic to dogs.
0: That, yeah, definitely would not recommend that, okay? This is a little clip from Business Insider.
6: This woman makes sweaters out of dog hair. No, they're not itchy, and yes, they're clean. It might seem far-fetched, but Jeannie Sunk built a business out of a material most pet owners are more than happy to toss out.
0: This is Jeannie. This is Shadow. And this is a sweater made out of
6: Shadow's hair. From shed to shirt, each item can take months to produce. And Sonk's had to hire a team of artisans to keep up with demand. If you're watching this and thinking, who in the world would buy a poncho made of dog hair? You are not the target market. So who is?
5: It's customers who realize they're about
6: to lose their dog and want to have something to keep oh my God. that they'll always have yeah. with them.
1: And Ryan. Yeah. And Ryan would buy them, first of all. No, second God of all, no. You're, you're going to lose your dog, so you get a dog sweater. You talk about a therapy session waiting to happen. Yes. And, like, you know what you do? You get a little paw print made, and you put in a little frame in the corner of your office, and then you're going to feel better about it. You, this is, by the way, I would like to bring out, since we're having a domestic here, I would like to bring out the fact that Ryan skipped all of the script with all of the big words that he wrote in here for me. And what I think happened was, is Ryan wrote this, then he realized... That's a typo. And then he he basically decided that, hey, you know what? Um, I'm just going to leave this for Shane to read because it's filled with typos. You did not use words like um, modus, intarsia. You did not use words like chingora. You did not use any of the other things in here. This is a... Can you talk about... Tool, tool, diesel. Tool, She wanted to design a sneaker... Like, you did not even, (laughs)
3: Well, this is the Sneecher
1: Sneecher. The gloves are
0: off. Sneetcher. Man, you guys are coming at me. I mean, like, look, when I write this, you you summarize half the scripts I write. So I just thought, hey, I'll do the same thing here. And when it comes to this, you're right. This was (laughs) a, uh, now looking at it, Chinorga, Chinorga, yeah, you're right. But do you guys really need to know what dog hair in fabric is called? Are you interested? Do we need to know? Cuz I'm certainly someone not. someone
1: has a, a dog hair s- sweater. <laughs> I I like this mushroom sneakers. That was all right.
2: I <sighs> I mean, it like it sounds ridiculous, but I feel like at some point in the future, everything is just going to fail in terms of manufacturing and we're just going to be left with assembling everything from nature. And like we laugh, we laugh at this now, but we're going to be wearing these in like yeah. five years.
0: Can't wait for there's Kanye a... West's new collab with <laughs> his dog. Oh, dear. <laughs>
1: yeah, well. So there's a dog I follow on Instagram. Is Brody the Dude. And he's a Labradoodle, but he's like big, like Afro curly, like big hair, right? Like beautiful, amazing. The kind of, the, when people have straight hair, the kind of curly hair that we wish we had kind of like the other way around when people have curly hair and they wish they had straight hair because that's like the way life works and um that dog that made me interested in the sweater that would be all right but
2: yeah it would be a lot easier to make a sweater out of my hair because i leave it all around the apartment and it makes my wife mad Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) there you go we'll call her out of it yeah i don't use it gents hair long like yours no
2: it's really short and i don't use a comb so it gets all like it just gets everywhere
1: <laughs> oh, God.
2: i've got i've got my look so i don't believe in brushing
1: i have got the look i've got my look <laughs> that's a typo all right are you okay are you okay with fruit loops
2: oh man you should just hear them on the phone um I'm, I'm just joking. We love you guys who call in, guys and gals. Um, (laughs) Fruit Loops. I've never been a fan of the the sugary cereal. Like my threshold is cinnamon toast crunch, and that's where I pretty high. It's pretty high, very high. It's it's very high. But Fruit Loops, I always felt just disgusting after it, especially Mm. when they're Mm. in the bowl too long, and then they get all like absorbed, and they get all like spongy and weird Mm, they do they
0: do get spongy yeah they're kind of okay
1: fruit loops are the the this is the this is the fruit loop memory camping those little boxes of camping cereal which was really when you look at the size of our bowls today that's about a fifth of what we normally pour in our bowl today those and then you cut try to cut it open with a knife because the perforated things didn't open and you open up the little barn door flaps and then you try to have your little tiny in a box with plastic bowl of fruit loops that's where fruit loops were magic that's where fruit loops should stay and i appreciate that i mean i am a honey nut cheerios or raisin bran kind of guy to show my age honey nut cheerios pretty awesome yeah uh but also it's also incredibly high in sugar oh my god all right there are some cool ones out there too cinnamon toast crunch my daughter's like it's like food group in our house for her. Mm. A pizza shop in Iowa is dividing the internet with a new no a new menu item. This is WWCCB Charlotte.
6: Fong's Pizza in Des Moines is now serving a Fruit Loops pizza. It comes with sour cream and cream cheese sauce. It's topped with mozzarella,
4: Fruit Loops,
6: mm. and drizzled with Greek yogurt and condensed milk. Some people say they're eager to try it. I don't know those people, and others are calling it a crime against humanity. That's where I'm at.
0: Yeah, me too. (laughs) That's the most horrific sounding thing I've ever like food wise. That's top tier awful. Yeah, but treats a pizza that's
1: heavenly.
2: Yeah, that's different. Like that's that's an your whole pizza concept right there is dessert based, but it's like I don't know somewhere in the middle there it got lost. It got you know I don't know creation is just. God's work alone, I guess. When it comes to pizza,
0: I don't when understand why pizza. they would put cheese though. Like, why not just make it frosting? Like, go all dessert to combine yogurt, cheese. Yeah, like a sour cinnamon cream. Bread? Because, yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. That's one thing. This sounds like an abomination. It's like when people try to push, like, "Hey, do you want to have this peanut butter and jelly cheeseburger?" No, I want one of those separate from the other. Don't weird me out. Yeah, that's weird. Okay, text messages um fruit loops cereal
1: was uh only the best with the three original colors uh stoner meal fruit loops box cereal <laughs> fruit loops raw from the box raw mm, not sure that's the word but i get your point i mean it's very clear you've communicated clearly that raw cereal is what <laughs> sans milk Um, yes, that was the only time we got little box cereals. That was the only time you got, when I was a kid, that was the only time you actually got the good cereals, right? You, you, you got cornflakes. That was about it. You're allowed to put a little sugar on top before school and porridge. So we didn't ever get like you, if you ever wanted corn pops or fruit loops or any of those ones, that was the only time you got them was in those box cereals when you're out camping or on a family trip or something like that. And, In a hotel room somewhere with, quick, eat your cereal. Um, Gag and a chuck on that creation. (laughs) Maple nut shreddies rule. I haven't had maple nut shreddies. Shreddies, that was the one. That was another one that we used to have
0: to eat. Oh, shreddies Um, with brown sugar, though. That is an amazing cereal. Really? Well, we used to do it. it, Does it come with brown sugar? No, you have to do it
1: yourself. But Mm -hmm. it's worth it. Dave in Alberta is like me. Uh, Multi-grain Cheerios, drier with milk. Dave probably also doesn't speed like I don't. Uh, Apple Jacks on dessert pizza would rock. Apple Jacks is good. I was never a big cinnamon, like apple cinnamon flavor, fake flavor. Real life flavor, fine. Um, Yesterday we had a pizza crust with beets. What's wrong with you? Why would you do that?
2: Yeah, man, beets are for
1: music. (laughs) they're for boxes pizza for boxes exactly
0: (laughs) it's the shift podcast
1: if there's been anything we've tried to somehow talk about and avoid at the same time here on the shift it's been conspiracy theories it's incredibly difficult on the radio to be able to somehow filter through in real time what is real information and what is not real information sometimes you get it right sometimes you don't but the good news is is more times than not, we, we filter through it, and we wait. You wait and you, you look and see if the information is legit. Yeah, Dig a little <laughs> deeper.: I think that's uh, what Carmen we Celestini do. is here with us, and Carmen uh, does this. This is what Carmen does. Uh, Carmen is postdoctoral fellow in the Center of Hate bias and extremism, uh, instructor of the University of Waterloo. That is a very long business card, Thank and you. these are like you go to work to have conversations about things that people are terrified to talk about.
6: Every day. I teach a course on conspiracy theories and post-truth to students in their first year. Wow.
1: So when we look at conspiracy theories, one of the things that we haven't done a very good job of, I think here on The Shift, I, I know the media has not done a good job of it, but we talk about conspiracy theory this and extremists that. We've seen it in COVID. We've seen it in US politics. We've seen it all over the place, but we've never really sat down and talked about what is a conspiracy theory in order to sort of create that agreement around it and that foundation. So where can we start?
6: Well, that's sort of a tough answer to give, because conspiracy theories are usually some type of answer to a question that someone is asking. And that question is sometimes based in talking about an injustice, and that's how they're articulating it. At other times, it can be an answer to a fear. So if there are continuous disasters or really bad things that are happening to a person or to a nation the things that you would normally turn to to try and find the answers. So say if you're a religious person, it could be prayer. Um, If those things aren't providing the answers or stopping this sense of disaster and impending doom, you try to find something that is causing it. And conspiracy theories in many ways can actually provide those answers. So it can be a group or a cabal that are controlling something for nefarious reasons. And the things that are happening, you can cite as being part of their tools to try and get to some evil end in your mind. So it can be that. It can be an articulation of fear, and sometimes it can overlink. So some of the research I do is for Christian apocalyptic thought, so believing in the book of revelations, but also linking it to conspiracy theories and how those two things overlap, which we see happen a lot on the internet with a lot of conspiracy theories. So
1: so apocalyptic thought leads one to one very direct <laughs> place, and that's fear. So yes. people are, are not able to imagine or control or be certain around the outcome, which uh, me as an existential study person, um, that, that's the magic place where the good stuff starts. Mm-hmm. So on the other end of the spectrum, this is a place where it's terrifying for some people because they can't imagine not being able to know that they're going to live past you know, 2024 20, when the sun rises on the 31st day. <laughs> Um, and or whatever it works out to be. I just made that up. Oh.
6: <laughs> now you've started you started a conspiracy. Yeah, I'm going to trail it back theory. to you. <laughs> it,
1: it's so easy to start conspiracy theories. Um, but no, but seriously, though, it really does come from fear, doesn't it?
6: It really does. So, I mean, there's a few things that have to happen. There has to be um, distrust in institutions. So if you distrust the government or any type of powerful organization, that is built distrust that makes you not believe the experts or the people who are the authority in a certain area. There has to be a notion of fear and there has to be someone or something that you blame for that fear of these things that are happening. So there is a lot of racism that's involved in conspiracy theories. There is a lot of alienism um, or aliens from outer space that are involved in conspiracy theories. Um, There's a lot of hopes that are considered in conspiracy theories as well. I mean, right now there is um, You know, this idea, one of the conspiracies floating around between QAnon and COVID right now is called the Great Reset. And although it's linked to some very negative connotations, one of the things that's going to happen because of the lockdowns and COVID and us not being able to go to work and do the things that we would normally do is they think that there will be a Great Reset where all of our debts, our mortgages, everything will be eradicated and erased And that we will own nothing and that, you know, eventually that will make us the slaves to this elite cabal. But this notion, because in COVID right now, you know, people are losing their jobs. Economic precarity is really something that many people are facing at this point in time. So it offers a little bit of hope, but it comes at a great price. So, you know, there's this notion of fear still attached to this, but still your hope as well.
1: Well, when you look at something like the Great Reset, it gets compounded by the fact that politically some of the vocabulary and terminology mm-hmm. that's used in the Great Reset. Now, I just call it lazy politicians. <laughs> They've been grabbing onto some of those phrases, right? And then you hear it from Joe Biden's election campaign, and then you hear it out of Trudeau, and then you hear it out of David Suzuki or whatever, and you start to hear these phrases Get repeated again and again and again. And it does make people suspicious, though. You're like, well, wait a second. How come they're all saying the same thing? How can they not be aligned here? How can this not be price fixing, if you will?
6: <laughs> well, I mean, the actual term, the Great Reset, actually came from um, an economic forum group. And what they were doing were making predictions about 2030 and what we would see in the world. And one of the predictions was that we would own nothing and that we would rent our spaces. And when that was actually tweeted out by the organization in 2016, it was shortly deleted thereafter. And then Prince Charles was working with his foundation um, for climate change and linked it to these predictions and used the term, the great reset. And that's what started this sort of new realm happening. And people were sort of talking about it in the background and these ideas of the great reset and connecting it to the new world order. And I think that because that term was being used, people are looking for it. Like with Biden, it was, you know, build back better. And so build back better became, you know, the new format of saying the great reset. And that's how they linked it. So, you know, you're attaching ideas to things where some people are trying to find hope. You can find the darkness that's within that hope as well. And say, you know, like, they don't know the truth. I know the truth kind of positioning. So.
1: Now, common sense moment. (laughs) Wouldn't, as soon as you start to hear, like if I'm if I'm an environmentalist or if I if I'm um, trying to market something around building a new life or uh, rebuilding out of COVID or anything like that, and I know now we know that those phrases, things like "build back better" um, and the "Great Reset" are phrases that are misunderstood. Wouldn't you just not try to find a new phrase at this point and avoid all this? Because as soon as you take Uh, the Great Reset, and then you take an elite like Prince Charles and then all the royal conspiracies (laughs) that are out there being aliens and all the things, and now you have an elite that uses the phrase, it really becomes this snowballer avalanche that gets worse.
6: It really does. But I mean, I can't obviously speak for Biden's party or I can't speak for Prince Charles, but as an outsider looking in, I do think that at some point they don't really give conspiracies credence. So, you know, they might not actually think about it. I think, you know, perhaps Prince Charles was like, I'm trying to do good here and, you know, set a thing and set in motion to help the climate. And without giving it credence or acknowledging it is, you know, powerful for them and takes away some of the power from the conspiracy theorists, perhaps in some people's minds. But I think that, you know, this idea of, Discrediting or not acknowledging that these things are there are a great disservice to all of us because I mean, if we look back historically, I mean, my initial research was looking at the John Birch Society from the 1950s and 1960s, and we can see how the use of religious language and hierarchies and the idea of um, you know capitalism being a sign and free enterprise being a sign of of religion. And then putting in fears and conspiracy theories built a small, very powerful political group. And then, you know, that sort of went away after the election in 1964. But it wasn't like those people disappeared or those ideas disappeared. And they kept bubbling and kept going through. And those tools of fear and conspiracy theory and linking these things together are a tool that a lot of social movements have used to mobilize people politically So those who are in power by ignoring it and those of us who research it and those of us in the media who ignore some of these ideas and, you know, look for the salacious parts rather than what is it they are trying to articulate, we put it to a disservice to ourselves. And we can see that in some points in the 2016 election and what happened there as well and what just happened on January
1: 6th. So there are some amazing books that have been – Simon Sinek is great with his books about why – um there are all kinds of books about the question why and we do lose that right we do when mm-hmm. we stop asking why I there, there's a thing about conspiracy theorists that i will admit that i quite love and i think that there i wish there was more people like that in the world that would challenge well why why is it there's this i put a guy on the radio once he was a, a flat uh flat earther mm-hmm. and he was great um and he He was everything a flat earther you would think would be. Uh, It was entertaining. It was fun. And someone had uh, said, why would you put that guy on the radio? And I said, because I mean, I don't agree with them, but he's got some really good points and we need to ask why more often. We must ask why we need to challenge this. So, I mean, I don't trust politicians, but I'm not a conspiracy theorist that, you know, whatever. I just think greedy people are greedy people. Uh, Yet at the same time, We have to have a little bit of trust, and we've got to challenge it, and we've got to ask why. We've got to say, well, why is it that Canada doesn't seem to have any brass tacks against China? We need to ask the question, why does this political party keep getting in trouble for that? Why does that political party keep getting in trouble for this? Why do these things keep happening? And let's be honest, we're having the same conversation today that we were having 10 years ago, 15 years ago, ago, 20 years ago. Nothing has changed. So how is it that we find that balance between um, the desperate confirmation bias seeking, find me convenient evidence, not willing to do the work inflamed people that stand up for this. How do we balance that with the placid, man, I don't care. People who just go with it and find a happy medium where we get some advocacy and things to happen. I mean, is it even possible?
6: I don't know. I mean, I think that, I mean, that could return just to the idea of that, you know, it is part of our responsibility to be civically engaged and a part of our responsibility to be active within, within society. And, you know, there are always going to be a contingent of people who are not active and who aren't questioning and who are not going to be a part of the process and, and have a voice. And I think that when we look at people who voice things on all sides of the political spectrum, they ask questions. And they try to put things into position where how do we understand it from a different lens or from a different person? And I think that when we talk about conspiracy theorists, they are asking some questions that need to be asked and that other people don't ask. And, you know, you just have to sort of go past all of the stuff that you know, sounds salacious, you know, and they're suddenly like, and this alien or this lizard really did this. You have to ignore that part and look underneath it and say, well, what was that lizard or that alien addressing in your, in your conversation? What injustice or what question were they talking about? And, you know, conspiracy theorists also have this amazing scholarly ability. I don't know if you've actually sat down and read someone's, you know, very deep conspiracy theory, but they have citations, they think about it, they know their history, they can link it, and they can talk about, you know, the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, and they can talk about all of these things well informed. There's just a fork in the road where that historical notion changes. And, you know, sometimes it's cyclical um, self-referencing, where they talk about things that they've written about something else, but really paying attention to what is the trope that is throughout whatever they're going to. Well, actually talk about what they're afraid of, what injustice they're trying to put out there, or what, you know, is there a social economic thing? Is it a racial thing? Is it something that is not being articulated or they're too afraid to articulate? And so look to something else. And that's what we focus on.
1: Well, that gets into uh, some real human elements there. And we talk mm-hmm. about the things that we think we can control. We don't talk about the things that we... Uh, can't control we don't share those things right Uh, you know oh my partner and I are breaking up well we only talk about that because we think we can control that we can think we can control the narrative as opposed to when we're worried about breaking up with our partner we often don't say anything I mean so that's just a human a human thing is the difference then um, between curiosity and conspiracy um, I have questions versus I have answers is a little bit of righteousness
6: um, well, eventually it does become to with some conspiracy theorists. I mean, you know, that there is a notion when you get into conspiracy theories that, you know, if it is something that you do believe there's a cabal that is going to take over and start the new world order, what you become is something that is a social hero. And so in your mind as a social hero, you are the person that can make that change. And you know that by speaking out or by trying to make that change, that there are gonna be things that happen. So you are probably gonna be socially isolated. You might lose friends, you might lose your job. All of these things are sort of expected because you are doing the right thing. You are the hero that is going to change the situation by speaking out. And by notion of that, of being the hero, you know, there is a sense of I am right and I know the capital T truth and I am going to fight for this. And so a lot of people do get to that position where they're like, I know the answers and there's a little bit of arrogance to that. And, you know, sometimes when it's articulated, it is these people don't understand or they don't know the truth or they're not as smart as I am about this situation or this conversation but I mean I think all of us in some way have a little sense of that egoism in ourselves and think that about certain things that we know well so I think that um that is part of it but I mean if we look at what just happened with COVID and with Parlay and with QAnon and all of that happening at once with a lot there was so much talk about you know Loss of First Amendment rights in America by Twitter taking some conservatives or some people off of Twitter and they moving to parlay. And then when Parlay was shot shut down, there was so much conversation about that, that. A lot of people who are in isolation and sitting at home and not with their social groups were curious and looked on the internet. And you could see on parlay that and on Telegram when Parlay got closed. So what you would see was there was five or six people who would join. And then once Parlay got shot, got shut down, there was 30 or 40 people who were suddenly joining Telegram and different groups. And so there is a curiosity notion that's attached to coming to look to see, well, what is all this about in the media? What's going on? And, you know, in COVID and isolation, I mean, I'm in Toronto, so I'm on my 16th week of not being able to leave my house. And, you know, I can see my friends and neighbours in the outlying cities being able to do things on their social media, but I'm still locked down. And so that isolation can lead you to not having friends and not having communities. And so you dip your toes into some of these pools and you end up creating communities and you end up making friends online. And they're always there. There's someone there 24 hours a day to talk to. And right. curiosity can lead to these communities and engagement and things that, you know, if there is a term that you believe in and someone is using it and there's a link there commonalities are created that may not have been created in the past under the situation that we're in now so new ideas friends of
1: proximity it's an amazing notion isn't it Mm -hmm. okay so all of this i just want to settle that we all agree that the illuminati is real though right
6: um yeah of course (laughs) <laughs> but I can't tell you that
1: now, can I? <laughs> well, because you're clearly a member of the Illuminati. Although I will invite people, if you want to learn about it, good examples of conspiracy theories, look at the history of the storyline around Illuminati. Yeah. There's a good, it's, a good, it's actually a really good learning piece about how that you know that, you, know, that Kabbalah you talk about, that sort of higher, super-rich, godlike power that um, has filtered through the storylines of centuries yes. of time.
6: Yes, I mean, I. it's one of the things that I have my students in the first week of class is read the history of the Illuminati. And, you know, with that, I have them read like Robeson's book. I have, you know, chapters from that, chapters from Nesta Webster, some chapters from the Insiders of the John Birch Society and then Phyllis Schlafly and the Kingmakers and then Tim LaHaye who talks about it. But then, you know, well, what about Jay-Z and Beyonce? You know, now they're linked to the Illuminati, you know? So it's a story that doesn't seem to disappear but it definitely changes throughout the decades and generations for sure
1: thank you very much for spending time uh here on the shift uh, we do need to talk about this more because the we need to understand where we're afraid just identify that it's okay to be afraid it's okay to be lonely it's okay to have all these pieces of the puzzle that come into the psychology behind this so it's great so thank you so much uh, carmen thank i you. appreciate it
6: thank you
0: it's the shift podcast
1: it is time for. In case you missed it, in case you missed it on the radio, here's Britney bitch McDonald.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not bad, eh? Not bad. <laughs> Britney. I wish I was as cool as Britney Spears, because it's Ryan bitch doesn't have the same ring to it. No, does it? No, totally no. different ring. No, totally.
1: You know one thing? Can we bring up one thing that we didn't get to the about 1999 and our throwback to Britney Spears and all that music? Absolutely. Was. We did, we did um, get into the uh, Ricky Martin, Living La Vida Loca song. We didn't mention it. And this is a throwback to 1999 and how incredibly different it was then. Is um, He had to hide that he was gay because he was such a superstar and the women loved him and all the calendars and the money-making that was going on. And he hid his personal life for all those years um, back then. And that was 20 years ago. So just some context on how things have changed since then.
0: Yeah. And thankfully now he's obviously out and uh, he's a huge gay icon. He was a, uh, I think he was a guest judge on RuPaul's drag race. He was definitely involved, which is actually funny because he looks happy by the way, just to say he does look happy. It's actually a coincidence because uh, today's tweeted the day involves RuPaul's drag race. Obviously in 2020, I was hoping to see a live show and I was hoping to actually go uh, RuPaul's live was going to come to Calgary But then, you know, a little thing called uh, Corona came around and that didn't that kind of, you know, threw it all away. So I was forced to watch Drag Race from home, no live performances, and that's okay. I'll make do. But there's actually a new documentary out about how drag queens dealt with working from home. And one of the queens highlighted the plight of it perfectly. So let's check it out. It's the tweet of the day. So the documentary is, it's very wordy. It's basically Corona don't got no drag queen down. It's its like a long, very long, exaggerated title, uh, but it is cool. So the special walks through the season 13, which is the current season uh, of how each of the contestants on RuPaul's Drag Race, the reality show, dealt with, you know, Coronavirus, Uh, they had to scramble to get this season put together and you can watch it now. It's on right now. It's not over yet. Uh, You can see, you know, the plexiglass between all of the the judges. They separated the queens at the start of the show and then put them together after a few weeks. You know, like they quarantined. While competing, it was quite interesting how they managed to pull it off. You know, some of the things this season I I feel are a bit off and some of the challenges as well. And they're making do. And the fact that we're even getting a RuPaul's Dry Grey season right now is a miracle. Um, But so this documentary follows it. Now, there's a clip from this that was shared on Twitter today that I loved because we can all relate to this. Not just Dry Queens, all of us, especially Shane will know. I can relate to this. You know, Lala Ri. And- oh, that, yeah, sorry, Matt. I was going to do a little intro. So Lala Rie. I Oh, I see. I wrote that. I was just ranting and I wrote that. I uh, That's my bad. I apologize. Now I will get into this. I'll stop rambling. But that's Lala Ri, for- yeah, big time, is one of the contestants on the show. And she was talking about how Internet was a challenge for them to deal with because they kept, you know, having issues. Much like myself. So, and before you hear this, don't adjust your radio. This is what it sounds like.
4: You know, the Wi Fi and you know, technology was the BITCH. We were free sometimes. Um, I would be in my conversation because, you know, I, I get really animated and really dramatic. I get really into her. So sometimes I would really be into it and she didn't
1: catch any.
0: But we got through it. We pushed through it. Exactly. They purposely left the pauses and glitches. In the documentary to drive the point home, and God, <laughs> it's I feel that.
3: Cool.
0: Uh, ooh, uh, said what? At my old apartment or my old house, rather, uh, my internet every f- every five minutes, Shane, right? Be
3: mm-hmm.
0: doing a Teams meeting and whoop, I'm gone.
1: Meetings with Ryan's, he would and he would just like the, here's how photogenic Ryan is: is he's the guy that can freeze in a meeting and just look happy and look like he's just in a photo. Aww. And then all of a sudden he reappears. He's like,
0: "Oh, I lost my internet." And I was like, "Oh, okay. I guess
1: that whole story I just told you, I need to tell you again."
0: What you aren't hearing is the amount of times I I was swearing as the internet cut out, and I got really agitated that I was going to have to tell my story twice. There was one so. time actually when you uh you we lost you and you like had this big rant and
1: it like we heard the rant and then you oh were gone. no, it was great. Yeah, it <laughs> well, was with the
0: boss too, by the way. Oh, great. Well, I yeah, okay. Sorry, Catherine. <laughs> okay. Let's move on before I, uh, you know, go into a uh, laggy rant here. It seems one television show just cannot and will not die. And let me tell you, I am a-okay with that. Yes. Can you believe it? Another year, another two seasons of The Simpsons, just ahead of The Simpsons 700th episode. Wow. How ridiculous is that? The crystal Fox ball of has, animation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's glorious. Season 33 and 34 have been renewed. So we will have new Simpsons episodes all the way until 2023 at least. I think they'll probably try to just get to 35, or maybe even push to 40. Uh, but I actually thought they were going to try to get to 30 and can it there. But nope, not yet. And I'm okay with it. The Simpsons kind of went through a lull, uh, and then I think the past couple seasons have been much better. But there was a funny quote uh, from one of the producers on the show and says, quote, Everyone at The Simpsons is thrilled to be renewed once more, and we're planning lots of big surprises. That's Matt Groening talking. Homer will lose a hair. Milhouse will get contact lenses, and Bart will celebrate his 10th birthday for the 33rd time
3: <laughs> i
0: love that uh it's it's kind of like south park right They're they stay the same age and i'm glad they never changed that uh now this is the interesting thing i was wondering this show has been on for so long have the ratings like gone to hell or anything nope the simpsons still averages 2.6 million viewers every episode wow So still lots of people watching The Simpsons, which is great. And in honor of that, one of my favorite things about the show, obviously, is Homer Simpson. But is Homer's inner thoughts where the show will pause and then Homer has a conversation with his brain or lack thereof a brain. And uh, here's a little compilation of some of my favorite Homer moments.
2: Rational perversity. No matter what you tell your child to do, it will always do the opposite. Don't you get it? You gotta use reverse psychology. Mm, that sounds too complicated. Okay, don't use reverse psychology.
3: Alright, I will. Who the devil are you?
2: Don't panic. Just come up with a good story. My name is Mr. Burns. Don't! Oh! Uh-huh! Aw, oh, twenty dollars. I wanted a peanut. Twenty dollars can buy many peanuts. Explain how. Money can be exchanged for goods and services. (laughs) 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 Woohoo!
0: He slips and falls on a peanut in that clip, by the way. Yeah. So, I love that show so much. It's a good show. So many memories and uh, very good bonding thing with my parents, too, watching that show every Sunday, man. Uh, Here's a really weird one. We talk about crypto and blockchain a lot on this show, even though we still don't really understand it. Now, Can you imagine a band releasing an album via blockchain? Because that's happening. Uh, Yeah, their next album, Kings of Leon, is going digital, literally.
3: Kings of Leon jumping into the crypto collectibles game, putting out their upcoming album as a non-fungible token or NFT, a way of making unique digital collectibles. NFTs in the sports world are traded like baseball cards, with some going for thousands of dollars. And art NFTs are sold like rare works of art and can go for millions. The Kings of Leon album NFT will cost 50 bucks, include a vinyl copy and special visuals. And fans can bid on one of six golden ticket experiences that will give them front row seats at Kings of Leon concerts for life. The album, when you see yourself, is out Friday. Jason and ABC News,
1: Hollywood.
0: Free concerts for life. I don't really understand how you would get the album and how you would listen to it. Uh but free concerts for life. Count count me, count me right in. Yeah. What do you guys What do you guys think about that?
2: Well, it's a free concert for life, but uh unfortunately you're going to have to see Kings of Leon for the rest of your life. Um I'm just kidding. They are Ooh. they are just totally Okay, rock band.
0: I have some thoughts about Kings of Leon I'd like to share, actually. Uh, I think Kings of Leon are generally really not good, but they have one album, Mechanical Bull. Front to back, it's amazing. Like, seriously, I don't know what happened. Like, they, you know, that song, You Somebody? That is one of my least favorite songs ever. Cause you'd, in like 2008 or whatever, that song came on. You get in the car, mom's driving me to school, and she turns the radio on. And every day it was just, you know, that I could use somebody. somebody. Yeah. I hated that song. Yeah,
1: but, but Sex on Fire was about sexually exactly. transmitted viruses.
0: Sex on yes. Fire is a great song. And uh, Super Soaker. Was it a fantastic song, Mechanical Bull, that album, as well as uh, Temple, which reached number one in Canada as well. Great album. And apparently they put on a good show. I would go. If somebody offered me, I would go. But uh, anyway, it's an interesting way to release your album in like a collectible way. I, I I still don't really understand how you get the album and how you listen to it. Like when you buy that, do you get a code? Or I, I don't know. But I mean, hey, wow. good for them for trying. I would look at it the other way,
1: doesn't it, isn't it telling when they're willing to give you free concerts when you buy the album, like that's how,
0: Yeah. Oh, you know, sometimes you just give stuff away because you need people I, to show up. Y- yeah, and the, the thing I'm worried about is like, do you create the spectacle to take away from how bad your new album is? Because that would be kind oh, of yeah. genius. That's well, I'll what tell I'm you what. So we'll have to see. This show so on is free.
1: The podcast is free. The shift is free. It's free everywhere. Do you really think we would have like it's like number one nighttime show? Do you really think we would have this listening audience if people had to pay for this? Yeah. Really? No.
2: Like so. Like we're literally just like giving it to you every night, Give right? Her. Whether we want to or not.
1: <laughs> so enjoy we, it. But nobody's gonna pay <laughs> for this. Like this whole thing, four hours. Like no one's gonna pay for this show. So Kings of Leon is doing it like we do it. I mean, we give it away free because no one's going to pay
0: anyway. So pay $50 <laughs> and you get a cool digital version. That's that's the next step for this show. We will create a blockchain version of this shift where you will get a opportunity to join our Zoom call for life. No matter how uh, disheveled we look, you will be able to join. Speak for yourself. It'll only just take us 10 years to figure out how to make that happen. Yeah. So bear with us. Just give us your credit card and expiry date. We'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we need. Uh, This is one Matt and I really need to touch on because uh, Derek reminded us. So thank you, Derek and Edmonton. But uh, Wednesday, March 3rd, one of the greatest metal, heavy metal. No, one of the greatest albums in the history of music turned 35 years old. Yes, never heard. Master, of, uh, really, <laughs> Master of Puppets by Metallica, the third album and unfortunately the last one uh, with uh, Cliff Burton, who died in a bus accident on that tour, uh, turned 35 years old. That album, man, oh my god! When I saw I saw Metallica for the first time in 2017, we were in Quebec City to see Iron Maiden and Metallica was in the city at the same time, so we thought, hey, that'd be a cool show. And uh, standing in that crowd of over 100,000 people, hearing them play that song live, uh, I immediately fell in love with the band. The album, front to back, it just absolutely shreds. It is the first heavy metal album to be introduced to the Library of Congress for preservation in the U.S. Uh, It's like six times platinum. Uh, It's a masterpiece, and I love it to death.
2: Yeah, and um, I even geeked out a little bit about it on my Instagram. Here is a clip of me playing The Thing That Should Not (gasps) Be. Big, fat, heavy riff there.
0: Sounds awesome, man. I can't tune any lower. It (laughs) sounds great. An amazing album. Happy birthday. Rest in peace, Cliff. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast.
1: Make sure you subscribe, rate,
0: and review the show and
1: share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.